You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the 10th episode of You Play A What. I would like to take this chance to thank all of you who have been lending your support to the podcast. I do appreciate it and I hope that you are enjoying the content that has been put up over this period of time. Now on to this episode, my guest today traded in her rising career to pursue her musical dreams. Although it took her many years to realise this, her affinity with music was evident throughout her life. Apart from being the staff pianist at the School of the Arts Singapore, you can also catch her in action with various arts groups, but more notably involved in collaboration with singers. She's also active in setting up local auditions for the Royal Northern College of Music, providing the opportunity of live audition, which was not available during my application. Join Pauline and I as we speak about why we do what we do, and also why she was so brave to make the change in her career choice. That's it from me. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Pauline. My guest today put her career on hold to embark on her musical studies a few years ago. What is more impressive is that upon completing her studies, she was determined to embrace her career change, becoming what we know now as a portfolio musician. Apart from the mental and spiritual gratification of creating and working in the music industry, one could also say that she might be addicted to the feeling of uncertainty, delayed payment and the feeling of slight hunger every now and then. But maybe that's just a euphonium player talking. Welcome to the show, Pauline. How are you doing today? Hi, Vincent. Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, thank you so much uh, for taking time out to come onto the show. And I'm sure a lot of my description that I just said probably just applies to a euphonium player and not so much for you. It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> uh, so I saw you took a day off yesterday. How was that? Yeah. That was great. I went to Pulau Ubin. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of nature always yes. helps to distract ourselves from the busy life of the city. Um, what, what did you do uh, at Pulau Ubin yesterday? Uh, we did mostly walking. So we walked around the entire island, which took us like five hours. Okay. Yeah, it was very nice. Yeah. You know, I, I've never been to Pulau Ubin before. I'm You're a little bit ashamed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never been actually. You should. It feels like a holiday. Does it? Yeah, the island yeah. is actually different. When you go there, the vibe is different. Mm. It's as though you're like, like in Singapore, but a time frozen maybe 20 or 30 years before. I see. Yeah. What are the interesting sites there at Pulau Ubin? 
Um, the main town is very interesting. The shops are very old, very old school. You can rent some bicycles. You can cycle around. Uh, mm. Chek is very nice. There's a nice boardwalk. I and see. then there's animals. I saw wild boar, monkeys. Yeah, there are a lot of different plants, trees. and So a lot of the previ- the wildlifes that we can't really find here anymore. We can uh, still have a yes. glimpse over there. Lah. Maybe you can find Pongola. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. uh, so, so is it five hours of walking? Yeah. Is that what you usually do when you go there? No, usually I cycle, but I decided to walk yesterday. Mm, okay. So yeah. what, what is the kind of difference in timing then if you are cycling versus when you're walking? Okay, when you're, when you're cycling, it's way faster. When you're walking, it's longer. Because although the island is very small, the, the path is not straight. Yeah? So it goes through the forest and then it goes uphill and downhill. So it takes a while. I see. Yeah, but if you go slower, you can take it more. You can take it all in, you know what I mean? If you cycle, it's faster, but you see less. Oh, okay, okay. I understand. Have you been there many times? How do you work out the navigation then? Like where to walk? Do you have to like Google? Singapore is so good at this, Vincent. You have no idea. At every little point, there is a hut in case it rains. And at every hut, there is a map that tells you Ah. where you are. And the paths are quite, um, they're quite well trodden or quite well marked. So it's quite impossible to get lost, yeah. I see. Mm. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I, I should go there. I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed to, to even tell you that I've never <laughs> been to Pulau Ubin before. You've been to Tokong, I haven't. Against popular belief, right? Actually, I've never been to Tokong before. What? My past, yeah, my past status was so low that I didn't have to go. How come? Yeah, I just had to go to another camp and I didn't have to do any sort of confinement and whatnot. I get to go home every day. So. <gasps> wow. Yeah. You're the first person I know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, in another episode when I was talking to Mervin, th- this is what I was telling him that when I speak to my friends about national service, I said I only have one complaint and that is the <laughs> air condition is too cold. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, uh, li- life is life is okay. I'm not complaining, you know. Um, uh-huh. A little bit different from most people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I know that you are an extremely busy woman. Uh, c- uh, could you talk us through what an average day looks like for you? An average day? Well, okay, my day varies, yeah, from day to day and from week to week and from month to month. Mm-hmm. So depending on the projects that I'm, that I'm involved with, so usually I, I wake up and then I have to do a bit of practice. And then sometimes I have a rehearsal in Sota or I have a rehearsal at my house. Mm-hmm. And then I also have to teach mostly in the afternoons or the early evenings. Then I usually end my day with practice again until about 9 plus to 10. Living the dream, as they say. Sounds good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... What sort of uh, institutions and organizations are you working with quite closely at the moment? Uh, right now, I do accompaniment at SOTA, which is School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. So I work with students from age 13 to 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I do mostly accompaniment for, with them, like for their concerts, their auditions, recordings, sometimes competitions. It depends, yeah. So that's one mm-hmm. organization I work with very regularly. Um, then, of course, I also work with some uh, opera companies in Singapore. So I do, uh, I do 
uh, accompaniment for them as well for their projects, their operas, their recitals. Yeah. Mm, okay. Cool. And definitely we'll get on to uh, a little bit of some of your accompaniment work later part uh, in our uh, conversation. Now, I want to bring up this involvement or project that you have been uh, quite regularly been involved in, which is uh, the kind of liaison work between RNCM and Singapore. Ah, okay. Of course, for those of you who do not know, Pauline and I, we graduated from the same uh, conservatory in the UK mm-hmm. in Manchester called the Royal Northern College of Music. And I think since graduating and returning back to Singapore, she has been extremely active in, say, organized auditions and things like that in yeah. Singapore for, for the college. So Because I remember when I applied, there was no live auditions then. Mm. Yeah, so yes. I had to send a tape in. Mm. And yeah, so I think I missed it out by one year. So the year... Yeah that I started studying, then the, the uh, live audition started. So did you have any part to play in setting up the auditions? Well, actually, um, I remain in close contact with the college even after I left. And they actually approached me to ask me about uh, holding auditions here. And I said, it would be a great idea. Mm. You know, because people like you and me, we used to send recordings in, which is also great, but nothing beats actual live playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We how the musician carries him or herself. We hear the live playing. Yes, there are nerves and everything, but it's all part and parcel of auditioning. And then mm. we get to speak to them, have a proper conversation. You know, all this, I think, is, is very important to get to know. And it's also a good chance for the students, the prospective students who are interested to come to college. And then for them to get to meet us or someone from the college and ask questions. So it's yeah. really helpful for both sides, yeah. Yeah, for mm. sure. And I think I remembered we had to, even when I auditioned, I had to send in literally like a DVD. Mm. Yes, me you too. Know? Yeah, which <laughs> is extremely troublesome because yeah. it's by mail and you don't know um, whether it's going to make it there or not. And then, yeah, what if it's lost? What if I miss the deadline? Would I still be accepted in the school? And yeah. of course, back then, there wasn't softwares like Dropbox or Google Drive. Or even if there were, I was probably kind of too dumb to kind of get to grips with it. <laughs> but you and I, we had to like literally mail in a CD, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I remember I had to yeah burn it into like a CD. And, you know, probably maybe some of the younger listeners wouldn't have absolutely no clue what we are talking yeah. about. Can't you just share it on Google Drive? <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? So, and I think uh, you made some pretty good points about interacting both ways for the panel with the mm. uh, incoming student and for the student with the panel to just get to know um, what the student is like also to get to know more about the school if you have any kind of questions. And mm. I think it really helps to have, uh, I remember when I was going to, to Manchester, maybe the summer before that, I was talking to you about it. Mm. And it, it gives probably um, new students that are attending the conservatory a lot more kind of confidence mm. that, yeah, the place is not that intimidating and you'll be mm. very well taken care of by the college and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And it's not just about knowing the school and knowing about the college and what it can offer, but also very basic things like safety, mm. which part of town is 
um, okay to walk around at night, which part of town you should probably try to avoid in the evenings. Because this is something that we kind of take for granted in Singapore, isn't it? Yes, very much. Yeah. At mm. any point of the evening or the night, we can just go downstairs, buy some things if we need to, and then come back home and it'll be okay. Mm. There, there mm. won't be a problem. Um, mm. But it's very different once we get out of um, this uh, comfort zone of Singapore. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever mugged in, in the UK? Uh, luckily not. Yeah, me, me yeah. neither. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but there are some stories, obviously. Um, there's this particular underground path kind of thing Where? that is quite near college. I've, I, I forgot the exact road name. That is kind of linking up the man mat uh, going towards oh, the yeah. gate and stuff like that, right? Do, do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, you yeah. can go down and then there's four exits and stuff like that. Yeah, I, oh. I heard heard that place is like, yeah, when it's winter time, when it gets dark super early, uh-huh. it's it's better to not go anywhere near there. That's why I heard. Yeah. yeah, people in Singapore really have to be so thankful. Yeah. It's really quite different. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, great stuff. So, with this whole COVID situation, yeah. Have you heard anything from the college about our upcoming auditions? Well, college is still very interested to come to whole live auditions and we are planning to do that in January next mm-hmm. year. And okay. that's entrance uh, September 2021. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So we're hoping that the situation will improve. Um, we're hoping the flights are re- will be resumed. Also, that's also the quarantine thing that we have to consider. Yeah, yeah so all definitely. that. We are planning, but we hope we can make it happen. <laughs> if not, yeah. then yeah, it's back to videos again, you know. Nah, okay. Yeah, so hopefully mm-hmm. this time around with the help of Google Drive, it will be slightly yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah, I remember making the video, you know. And then, like you said, I was afraid that you won't get to college. I actually FedEx it. Oh, like right to the door, right? Yeah. Like I paid a lot to FedEx it to college. <laughs> Good move, good move. Okay, so now we, we move on to another side of the work that you've been heavily involved in, which mm-hmm. you mentioned before, which is uh, working with the opera people. Mm. And I think uh, you've sort of played on and off with them, mostly mm. on for quite a while. So a little bit of background information about the opera people. They are a local opera company that is founded mm. in 2018. Mm. And... Uh, According to their profile, they strive to integrate technology, accessibility, and relevance to the forefront of contemporary opera productions. Mm. And I think so far, from the looks of what they are doing, it's always been a very interesting program and they always try to do things a little bit different and mm. they are quite, it's quite refreshing. Mm. I believe probably their latest sort of full opera production is uh, Zemlinsky's The Dwarf. Mm. Yes, that's what they do. Mm, most recently mm. yeah and that was uh, I think it's really well done well programmed and the set was really nice and it's uh, it's not in the opera theatre uh, but it's at uh, the annex at Esplanade mm. which is this kind of like black box space right which is yeah. a lot more kind of cosy and intimate yeah um, so how do you get uh, how do you start to be involved with uh, the opera people wow I need to think back <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're a very young company, as you said, right? Mm. They're about two years old as of now. Um, this company is really quite special. I feel like um, they have a vision. 
um, they are they are co-founded by people who are singers themselves, administrators, people who are really passionate about music, about mm. opera, about um about the arts, yeah. And yeah. they bring about with them uh not just like their insight as uh, practitioners and musicians themselves, they also uh bring about very fresh ideas. I feel and very fresh approach about how to say curate a program mm. right? like for example they will, they will choose to do like certain operas or curate certain recitals with different repertoire and how they present it yeah um, very fresh ideas like when i first started um playing for them we did this um in the manner of speaking the title is called in the manner of speaking okay. it was like a title featuring um women you know, like women right. composers. And I think it's very refreshing, right? Because uh, I feel like even if you look at now, still in the classical world, mm, women are underrepresented. Mm, uh, for sure. Right? Uh, women yeah. composers, or whatever, like, you know. Mm. So um, they bring about very good ideas. They, they were presenting in such a way and then they, they, they put it together with like poetry. And the poetry okay. is very provoking and also mm. talks about women and their different roles or their repression in different cultures and everything. I so, see. And they present it in a very intimate setting where people sit close together, very small audiences, mm. but very effective. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I think from, from the sounds of you describing this entire program, and like I said, I think it's very thoughtful curation. Mm. You know, it's, you know, to, to sort of champion female musicians. We, we don't have to talk so much about... Um, how the audience are going to see it and, and things like that. If you don't want to, you know, we can strictly focus only on the program. But mm. I think what, what, like you said, what they've done really nicely is to incorporate every single element of the performance in, uh, mm. and take all of that into consideration to give the kind mm. of most optimal experience for the audience. Mm. Right? And I'm glad they are willing to touch on topics that are slightly unconventional Mm. Um, I think that's what we need, you know. We need to be able to talk freely about some subjects, be able to do arts, to be able to sing, be able to, you know, yep. to do, yeah, arts in different, touching on different topics. Yeah, definitely. And I think particularly with the arts, I feel like it is almost like our job to voice these sort of issues in a different way that is not direct, but mm. using arts to communicate with, uh, probably in a deeper level with the general public about such mm. issues. Definitely, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, that's what, yeah, you know, so the arts can provoke your thoughts and make you think or make you realize from a different person's point of view. And mm. uh, most important thing is if you, if you walk away from a performance, maybe a dance, a reading, or music, you know, it can be any type of music. If you, if you walk away, pondering about it and thinking about it then it's already a, you know it's, it's, a, it's a good step right yeah definitely yeah, yeah. And, and I think maybe not a lot of people would think that it is okay to let your imagination run it's mm. okay to to feel something after watching mm. something oh definitely yeah yeah you know when you, you when you go to a concert or when you go to a art gallery when you walk away from it and when you come out from it, if you feel something and that, that's okay and you should really try to explore that kind of emotions and feelings rather than to be just like, oh, yeah, I do feel something but it's probably nothing and then, you know, sort of like, yeah, it's insignificant. 
Yes, I totally agree with you. And I yeah. think this is something that we should help the younger generation to feel more. To mm. think, to be able to dare to feel, to dare to think, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So important, really. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And really, this is why we do what we do, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Of course, we can always play happy tunes and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes this sort of happy tunes... <laughs> it doesn't connect with people. Mm. Yeah. And of course, I, I mean, we can go on, I think uh, you and I can go on on this topic for uh, a lot longer. You know, with the recent uh, article asking if the arts is essential and non-essential. And I mean, I have a lot of opinions on that. Oh, yes. And, but ultimately, I think uh, as artists, we have to reflect on the work that we do whether mm. our work is trying to say something, communicate something meaningful to the audience mm. or not, mm. right? I think yeah. if if the work is not connecting with the audience at a deep level, mm. you can't blame the general public for not feeling that the arts is essential. Yes. That's, yeah, that's my kind of long story short version of how I feel about it. I really, really like what you just said. Yeah. Oh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> enough about me. So I, I'm going to uh, carry on. And I know that you are involved with them in a current ongoing series called Kopi and Song, mm, which yes. is a 10 episode series of live stream voice recital with a little bit of chit chat in the middle between the host, singer and yourself. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, bring it back to the sort of uh, profile and the introduction of the opera people to integrate technology. I think what they've done is really, really good because mm. it is a live performance. I think that is the biggest difference. You know, it's not just a stream performance that is pre-recorded, but mm. it's actually a live performance. And then of course, mm. the performance space look uh, slightly familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it's my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, how was the, the entire uh, process? Of course, at the point of publishing this episode, we might be already near the end of the entire series. But how has it been uh, for you and the entire group so far in uh, preparing for this recital series? Uh, it's been really, really fun. You have no idea. Every Saturday, the sound crew comes. You know, I have to clean the house, make sure everything looks great. <laughs> <laughs> House doesn't always look like that normally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just like piles of piano scores lying around the floor. Yeah. <laughs> really so, you know, I have to actually clear up. What they what they did is the opera people actually um selected the singers and mm-hmm. they gave the singers quite a lot of freedom in their repertoire choices. So mm. it's a like it's like about ten minutes worth of singing. So they are free to choose what they like to sing. And the, the choice of uh, the music should be something that is like maybe something they feel strong about, something they want to, a theme they want to explore and talk about. Yeah. It could be just something they have always wanted to sing but never had a chance to. And then now there's a chance to, to like try out with me, you know. Mm. So really great. Everyone is singing something quite different. And we, we have uh, two short rehearsals usually before we do the recording. And the recording is, like you said, it's really live. So... Yeah. There are very strange things that happen sometimes and they cannot be undone. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Nice. And so 
like say on the day of the stream, what time does the uh, sound crew appear, and then how does it kind of play out from there? Okay, so the the performance is at five o'clock on Saturdays. Okay, mm-hmm. it's live. So the sound crew comes about half past two. Then they take okay. about an hour to set up. And you'll be mm. amazed to sound good. You need so much equipment. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of microphones. There's mics everywhere. The piano in front of the singer. There's a lot of cables running. And the, the crew sits in my room. Okay. So they're not actually in the living room space. I see. And then we have to do sound checks. We have to turn the lights. Yeah, we have to make sure we move the sofa. Then we do like a... Usually we do like a, a run-through at about... Three to four o'clock. Okay. Okay. Yeah, about four o'clock. And then we take a break. And then five o'clock, we go live again. I see. And the run yeah. through is the, is the entire thing. It's the music and the, the speaking and no, all that kind of stuff. It's just the music. Ah, uh, okay. Mm, just to make sure everything yeah. goes right. The sound balance is right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So uh, the, the sound check, how, how does it work then? Of course, um, in a concert hall, it's very direct. You go into the concert hall, you play, and then someone will be listening on the other end, uh, mm. probably in a seat of the audience, mm. to tell you, talk to you about balance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that seems so long ago, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what what a strange thing. Concert hall? What are they for? In this case, because the, the, the sound goes directly into the microphones, yeah, and they're fed into this is very strange, big-looking console in my room. Okay. Um, the sound crew actually listens to them. And then uh, make sure that the, the sound doesn't break, that the frequencies mm. are balanced correctly. Yeah, I so see. there's someone listening inside for us. Okay, cool. So yeah. they're all like, on like headphones and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. So then the next uh, important question for you is that what is your uh, beverage of choice during the Kopi break? Oh, okay. Sharida from the from people always yeah. the same thing, which is what I love the most. It's from Starbucks, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, so uh, dark mocha frappuccino. Dark mocha frappuccino. Yeah. Hey, you know this is just good to get out there in case any of your students are listening. And <laughs> they di- if they didn't practice, they know what to do, right? So. Write <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay you didn't practice fine at least you bought me some coffee so okay let you go this time my students are usually very upfront with me um, they know I get very cross so if they really haven't done anything they, they are very quick to admit it before the lesson start uh, okay yeah, yeah. and they, they probably know that nothing get past you as well so yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Like, by the time they start playing I can tell if they have practiced yeah of course cool mm-hmm. yeah uh, so Please uh, hop on to the Facebook page of the Opera People to have a listen to the beautiful piano playing and singing by Pauline and the different soloists, uh, respectively. I will provide the link on the show description. Mm. So you can just hop on there. And I believe when we post this episode up, there should be at least eight episodes online, I think, if not nine. Yeah, so give them your support and it's always going to be there. It's going to be immortalized. So you can go there anytime and just have a listen to these wonderful uh, songs and music. So now let's go to the the main part of the interview. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you are the first guest. We're almost 30 minutes into the interview now and I still haven't asked you what you play. So could you just tell us what do you play? I play the piano. (laughs) Yeah. So if you have have not known from all that uh, description that we've given... 
in the last 30 minutes, Pauline is a pianist. And yeah, she has been playing for how many years now? All my life. Fantastic. Yeah. So not to be disclosed, but all her life. Yeah. That's all you need to know. <laughs> but I literally started at three. So it's yeah, pretty much all my life now. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good. Now let's talk about when we first meet. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we met uh, 2012. Yes, absolutely. So uh, 2012 is quite an incredible year. Yes. Obviously. Um, so we met through um, this particular group called Orchestra Collective. Oh, see. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And of course, this is a year that we kind of ruffled some feathers, but we will not get into the details of that uh, today. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say that probably most of our meetings has been limited to either uh, OC projects mm. or your trips to Manchester. Yeah. Right? So uh, okay. I think we've met maybe uh, once or twice when I was starting in Manchester. Mm. And um, we've met 2012. I think we also met on uh, during 2014, which mm. is a beautiful Sunday concert yes. of uh, Singaporean composers, uh, works by Singaporean mm. composers. I last met you when we went out for dinner, right? With a couple of friends. Yes, I think that was at the start of 2019, wasn't it? Wow, my gosh. It seems so right? long ago. That, that yeah. was the, the show that we did at uh, Victoria Concert Hall. Yeah. Yes, I like right? that performance. Yes. Uh, yeah. The Cure for Pain is in the Pain, right? Oh my God, That's that was so great. I loved yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. It, is, it, is a it is a pretty cool show, I must say. Very cool. Yeah, left, left me kind of uh, buzzing after oh, the wow. performance. Exactly. Mm. So, yeah, we, we've met in Manchester, of course, then uh, your brother was also studying there. Mm. Yeah, in case people don't know who your brother is, he's the famous uh, composer of the SYF set piece. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh my god, I forgot the title. Um, Festival on Earth. Festival Earth. on Earth, yes, yes, yes. Oh Party no. Earth, <laughs> <laughs> and Party in Space, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so actually during 2014, you already completed your studies and you were back in Singapore for good. Were you mm. excited to, to hear that there are more Singaporeans that are going to go to the RNCM to study? Yes, very. I'm actually mm. very happy for people who have um, chosen to further their studies abroad. It can be at RNCM or it can be somewhere else. I mean, everyone uh, likes a different place, different teachers. But yeah, I think it's really good that we have more people from Singapore going abroad to really train themselves. Mm. I think it's very good for the, the art scene here. Yeah, and, and I think it's not just for purely our proficiency in the craft, but mm. also a greater perspective of what is happening around the world, isn't it? Exactly. To make friends, to make connections. Actually, really, if you go away and you study and you explore yourself, you learn so much about yourself, about other cultures, about other people, about... You know, it can be anything. It can be the art there. It can be the people there. It can be the politics there. Mm. You know, there's so much to learn. It really opens your mind. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mm. absolutely agree with you. Mm. And yeah, so now let's talk about your musical journey and career developments. And I think this is a, a great one. I think you have a great story. 
because I, I, I will not spoil anything. So I let, I let you uh, tell the story. Okay. So yeah, could you just share with us uh, right from the beginning, uh, your first contact with music and how it uh, grew from there? Okay. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I, I started piano very early. Uh, the interesting thing is my, my helper at home, she used to be a really, really good pianist herself. Oh, okay. Uh, my parents actually bought the piano for her. I see. Yeah, not for me because I was like, I can't even walk, right? So <laughs> she was very good at it, surprisingly. She, she got onto it. She, le- she learned really quickly. She got so good at it. So I kind of grew up listening to her playing mm. and she kind of taught me a little bit when I was a bit younger. Okay. Yeah, so learning music at home is quite haphazard. I don't know how to tell you that. There wasn't like a particular structure, you know, it was a lot of exploration. I just go and uh, play on the notes. And the reason why I started on piano is because um, my parents always heard me mimicking my helper. As in, okay. I, I, I could find the same notes as what she was playing. So I could mimic her, even very young age. Ah, so like mimic as in you would play the same note? Yeah, whatever she played, I tried to play it. So I mean, obviously she okay. was, she was at a much higher standard. But you know, I I would try to mimic as much as I could. I see. And so is this a a case of perfect pitch or what? Uh, maybe I I do have perfect, I do have perfect pitch like my brother. Yeah. Okay. Then, then, um, in my early years in school, like in primary school and secondary school, uh, like you join band, right, Vincent? Yes, of course. So my my mom asked me to join the choir. Uh, because I, I used to have a really bad cough. Okay. I have a very bad cough and it's a very long-term cough. I see. So she said, oh, your your lungs are crap, your lungs are lousy, you should have to <laughs> and build your lungs up, you know, right. things like that. So I joined yeah. the choir, which thank God was a blessing in disguise. Can you imagine at this current situation, you tell that to people? <laughs> I have a bad <laughs> <have that> lung. <laughs> Yeah, and then you just go like full aerosol. Oh, I'm because I have to train to make my lungs a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I had to get that in. But yeah, okay. So, uh, choir. Choir, yeah. I, I, I think on hindsight now, I think choir is a great curricular activity to join. I mean, it teaches you a lot of things. Singing teaches you uh, harmony. Uh, trains your hearing, uh, teaches you uh, how to work in a group, how to listen to others. I mean, it's quite similar to playing in a band, I suppose. It's just that mm. in a band, you have to be proficient at an instrument. Whereas in singing, you you just need to be able to learn how to sing in pitch and maybe produce a, a sound that can gel with the others. I think that the element of trying to produce a sound that gels with other people is mm. something that perhaps is lacking in a band member. I mean, you're comparing two kind of different music programs, right? Learning an instrument or learning how to sing. Mm. Yeah, I think as as instrumentalists, sometimes we don't develop that, that sort of sensitivity in pitch identification. Mm. So when we move on to like music college, sometimes we struggle a little bit with like oral training and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's true. But you know, as an instrumentalist, you spend so much time figuring out your instrument and how to how to make a sound, you know, hmm. there's fingering, yeah. there's posture, and then there's a lot of things. Yeah, what fingerings to press down. Yeah. yeah. Still struggling yeah. with that at the moment, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Think about it, um, for me, it was much easier because I had piano background. So mm. for like, me to be in a choir or to play the flute or anything, 
you know, it's, it's a much easier process because the note reading is already covered. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. But if you say like someone in primary school learning how to play the euphonium or learning how to play the trumpet or, mm. you know, the clarinet, then there's a lot of... Yeah, the curve is very steep. Uh. The learning yeah, curve is very steep. Yeah, yeah steep, definitely. Yeah. So I joined a choir and even in choirs, I already play a lot of the accompaniment because, you know, being a pianist, I always got an arrow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> of course, of course. Just yeah. good because then that's what made me today, right? I mean, mm. I learned how to play accompaniment from a very early age. Right. So I learn how to listen, how to wait, learn how they breathe, uh, mm. learn how to listen. It has really helped me a lot. Yeah. And then at 15, I, I auditioned to join the SYO, which is now called SNYO. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I auditioned as a pianist, but of course, they can't have a pianist. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay. Uh, I was like assigned to learn the flute, which I didn't mind because I, I kind of started learning it a little bit. And the experience... Right great because orchestra music opens you up to a whole different world of you know different music the sound the color of the orchestra you know mm. and that was great but yeah. after that I, I went to uni and uni kind of took over so I had a first okay. degree in computer science and I stopped playing a lot of music then mm. Mm. So before we, we carry on from there, let's go back a little bit. So uh, you mentioned about learning the flute and this mm. was self-taught or? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, this was part of the SYO program. So they, I have a lesson that is sponsored. So I go for a yeah. lesson every week. Yeah. What about before that? Because you kind of mentioned that you were already kind of starting to play the flute. Yeah, I, ha- I have a family member who has a flute. So she kind of lent it to me and I kind of feel uh. it myself. Okay, okay, yeah. understand. My, yeah. my house is different. There are a lot of instruments mm. lying around the house and we just kind of pick them up and have fun. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's good, you know. I, I, I wish I had that. But mm. all, all I had was the four walls of my room. But <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it's, it's actually not, not as grim as, as I said. Yeah, I had uh, other more, more conventional toys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a conventional child like my mom said. Okay, fair enough. And degree in computer science. Mm. So, like I said, music pretty much kind of stopped for you f- yeah. for that few years? Yeah, so uni, and then I started working. Mm. I mean, I still played the piano on and off, but um, maybe I, I did quite a bit less. Halfway mm. through working, I decided um, I missed the piano so much. I decided I would go back to it and I decided to to really go back to it like really full-fledged like in a more much more rigorous manner you yeah. know mm. and how did you then really be brave enough to make that decision to be like I'm gonna do it was it really to a point whereby you you can't take it anymore that you have to go back to music okay um, okay, this is really strange. It might sound unreal, but I assure you it's definitely real. Okay. So I I went back to music, right? So I had I, I met my teacher, Miss O'Herin. She's a Korean pianist living in Singapore. Okay. So she taught me piano again, as in uh, you know, I was just continuing off where we went. I mean I mean I was really playing piano at once. Um mm-hmm. initially I told her I was interested to go back to college, but then I, I kind of learned under her. We did our diplomas and everything, but I haven't really, I haven't taken action la, to, mm. to really make a point. 
And I still remember this very clearly and I'll say, it's real. Is it real? Okay. I woke up one Saturday morning. I literally just woke up and I knew in my bones, in my blood, whatever you call it, I really wanted to go to college. That it is where I have to be. Okay. Yeah, I woke up and I felt it. And immediately I, I have this undescribable uh, drive to mm-hmm. put everything into action. I you see. know, I'm going to read up, what should I have to do, what do I have to prepare, what, what rep I have to play, how do I audition, where should I go? Um, it just happened from there on there, it just rolled into place. Mm. And, yeah. At, at which point did it become real? Was it when you kind of tendered your resignation and said that I'm done? And was that a point where it became really real for you? Or was it like exactly that Saturday morning that it kind of changed everything? Morning. Okay. Yes. Yes. And, and pretty much after that morning and that sort of awakening, there was no looking back. It was just kind of one way. I'm going to study music and nothing else. Yes. yes. I mean, you must understand I was in a job that I, I, I really liked and I was mm. doing well. I was getting paid well. Yeah. And I was offered a promotion and it was quite hard to leave everything behind. I can imagine. Yeah. I, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't think about it. Of course I did. You know, you know I, I already had the conservatories offers in hand. And I also have my work, my stability, my career that's in front of me. I mean, yeah. how to choose, right? Exactly. One instant to an unknown territory where I have to learn all over again and I have to do this new thing. And the other is, oh, you know, I'm really good at what I'm doing. I just need to continue to do what I do. And mm. I get more. I, I, Probably have risen through the ranks, but uh, I have a friend Nelson, who's a good friend of me, of mine. He's a lawyer. Yeah. Okay. And I was having this difficulty, this this dilemma, right? And I asked him, "There, you know what he said to me? What he said to me actually helped me to decide what I'm gonna do." He said okay. this, Polly. He said, "Come Christmas, would you rather be in the office wishing you had gone to college, or do you think you'll be in college wishing you has you are still at work?" There you go. Right. So I, I suppose then it became clearer for you. Yes. Right. Mm. Then I was like, oh, yes. Okay. Then I know where, what I must do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wait, what's yeah, so, mm. yeah. yeah. But I, I can imagine how difficult it was to just kind of drop everything and then go into this war of unknown. Mm. Right. So now, uh, of course, when you entered Darren CM, you were uh, pursuing your master's degree over there. Yes. Mm. And now let's talk a little bit about your time in Manchester. And mm. let's talk about expectation. Uh, of course, uh, we go to a new country, we go to a new school with um, particular aspiration and expectation of the place. Did it uh, lead up to your expectation and was studying music full time what you had expected? Mm. Well, my expectations, I, you know, um, before I went to RNCM, I, I, I didn't manage to talk to anyone locally in Singapore about the place. Mm. So I went there kind of not knowing what I was going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was but- very lost. To be honest, the first day I arrived there, I was crying. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was a bit scared. Not, not so scared in a in a in a way like I'm frightened, but I'm. I just felt like wow, this is a bit overwhelming, you know. Yeah, it is a, a kind of strange feeling, isn't it? I mean, we've grown to 
yeah, be close to family and close to home, all of a sudden you're just sort of like lifted. And then, like you said, there was no one there to to provide you any sort of like familiarity or comfort mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. During the time when you left for Manchester, there weren't too many uh, Northern alumni as well in Singapore, isn't it? Yeah, when the year I went to to Northern, uh, Ibin was my the Ibin Xiao Ibin was the yeah. only other Singaporean that was in my batch. Okay. Yeah. He yeah. went there, right? So I went there to the mm, piano. I see. And obviously he had came from Switzerland, isn't it? At, at that yeah, point of time. So, yes. But I, I, I knew Ibin from long ago from SYO, but I haven't mm. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Now to the sort of uh, curriculum. Was it kind of what you expected? Studying music? Um, was the rigor of studying music kind of overwhelming? Did you have to take some time to adapt to it? Um, yeah, I, I think I, I did take some time to adapt to it. To be honest, I think I probably took a couple of months. Yeah, as you said, the rigor. Okay, mm. so uh, the expectation of a pianist is quite high. Yeah. Yeah, really, because we have so much rap that we have to learn so quickly. Mm. And you know, right, pianists all have to perform without music. Yeah, definitely. So that's the memorization. A, yeah. And then we have to do a lot of performance classes, means we need to continuously play in front of people. But that was great though. So that really helps you to train you in your nerves. Mm. So apart from our solo rap, we had to learn like chamber rap. And on top of that, I, I also wanted to do accompaniment. So there was a lot of uh, different music I had to constantly learn and pick up very quickly and try to polish it well and do performances. But, mm. it, but I'll tell you, it's all very exciting. I, I think now in hindsight, I, I'm very grateful to have that the kind of rigorous uh, experience, yeah? To yeah. teach you to be quick, to be smart about what you do, to really explore different kind of music, to learn how to work with people, to how to schedule your time well, you know, how to take care of yourself, how to find the balance in between the madness. Yeah, yeah, de- yeah. definitely. I think uh, a couple of things that, that you mentioned really kind of resonates with me. I think what I can't speak for other music schools, particularly in RNCM, they really kind of drive across this importance of being organized above yeah. anything else apart yeah. from being a good musician organizing your schedule organizing a diary making sure that you're reliable and turning up on time and also the, the head space of a music student is sometimes uh, I think quite interesting mm. because if, if you compare say when you're studying computer science mm. versus someone that's studying music mm. can you foresee that a music student would sort of have a burnout easier than someone that's studying computer science? Uh, yes, actually, yes. For music, I think it's easier to suffer from a burnout. Yeah. <laughs> well, the main reason, right? I mean, people who go into music are already very passionate about what they do. Mm. So they have this like huge expectation they have of themselves to, to excel, you know, to be really, yeah. really good. And is and this is like your your music making is so intertwined with your very being of being a person you know, yeah. of who are your identity. So mm. if you don't do well, if you do well, it affects you greatly emotionally, you know, yeah. and everything. And I, I guess um, when you're young and you really want to be the best that you can, uh, you try very, very, very hard. Do you know For what I mean? sure. For sure. I mean, Definitely. I mean, that don't lie. I mean, everybody yeah. does. <laughs> everybody yeah. does subject, right? But the yeah. thing about me is, 
it requires a kind of discipline and a kind of practice regime, you know. So mm. um, I think sometimes uh, students can be a little bit um, so concerned with that that they yeah. they maybe mistakenly uh, think that, okay, the number of hours I practice or how much I put into my practice will definitely translate into the output, which is my performance and my refinement of my playing. Mm. Well, in some ways it does, but it doesn't always. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you say, okay, I practice 10 hours a day. And then, oh, but if I've done 10 hours a day, by one month, I should be this good. But yeah. you know that's not true, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sometimes things don't, don't work out like that. And I absolutely agree with whatever you just said. Um, my time in Manchester, I think by oh. my first two years, I was sort of like just cooped up in Manchester. Mm. You know, everything was about college and then going mm. back to home and then going back to practice some more, and then mm. going back home. And it's it's this like, I, I can't miss a day. I have to I, I just have to keep doing it. And then mm. because I want to improve, I want to become better. Yes. It was only in my third and fourth year when I kind of took a step back. Mm. Where I'm like, I set aside time for me to just go walk around, even within Manchester, to just walk into the city, yeah. uh, do my shopping and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah. just set aside a little bit of time to not think about music at all. Yeah. And I think that was so important. And I, I, I would think that actually if I didn't have that kind of uh, difference in approach to my life in Manchester, I wouldn't be playing music today. Mm. Yeah, exactly. you know, it could have like spiraled into something from something that you are deeply passionate about into something that you can't stand the sight of, you know, it's just that oh. kind of like really fine line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My teacher once said that too. He asked. He actually asked me, like how much do you practice? I told him, well, it depends, right? It varies. I think on average in college, I do minimally four a day, like practicing, mm. which is all right, right? If you think about it, one day is 24 hours. If I spend like one six of a day practicing. So yeah. sometimes it can be as much as 10, really, depending on how much rep I have. Mm, exactly. Teacher, yeah, he said, you know, he said, um, with the amount of rep you have, you should, yeah, do maximum five only. The rest of the time, you shouldn't be practicing. Then I asked him, mm. oh, why? But I have a lot to to do, you know. I have to memorize this. I have to prepare this. He said, yeah, but if you always stay in the practice room, then you don't have a life. And if you don't have a life, you can't bring the life into the music. Beautiful. Absolutely. Cool. You've been working as a, as a staff pianist and you, you've also been collaborating with many different sort of singers and instrumentalists. Mm. Um, and also probably this term, uh, accompanist, I don't know if you have met a fellow pianist that feels like this term is a little bit uh, derogatory. Do you feel that? Uh, no. I'm perfectly fine with the term accompanist, really. Mm. I mean, some people like the term collaborative pianist, some yeah. accompanist. To be honest, what's the difference? <laughs> I'm sorry. <Yeah. laughs> You're still making yeah. music together. You can call me anything you like, really. I mean, I'm mm. only concerned about the process of engaging in the music, engaging with the other musician or musicians. Yeah. I mean, that is important to me. I mean, you can call me anything you like. Mm. And I, I guess, you know, I'm not a pianist, so I, have, I don't really have any stand whether I should call someone my piano accompanist or my collaborative pianist or, or whatever it is. But um, do you get a sense that maybe if we use the term accompanist, then it then becomes like a passive action rather than an active participation in the music? Um, yeah, I guess some people might 
feel that way because perhaps they see the word collaborative pianist as a more equal partner. Mm. I, I get that. I mean, I understand where, where how they think about it, but but I as an accompanist, I, I, I identify myself as an accompanist. When I accompany someone, I am helping the person to 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 play the music even more beautifully. You know what I mean? Mm, because okay. when I think someone is like an exchange, uh, I, I play and the music gives the person feedback and the, when the person plays, the person gives me feedback and makes me play. So it, it bounces off each other all the time. Fair enough. So mm. I... I don't actually see myself as a more passive player in that engagement. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So by, just by the title itself, it doesn't define your um, no. activity in the music, isn't it? And yeah. I don't see myself that way. I think that's very important, how you see yourself. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So now let's go a little bit more in depth uh, to uh, how singers and instrumentalists um, interact and maybe perhaps there are some things that we do not understand from a piano perspective. So I can't speak for a lot of instruments. I can ju- only speak for uh, euphonium. A lot of euphonium works are not written originally as euphonium and piano. So obviously mm. like the strings repertoire and perhaps some of the wood rep- woodwind repertoire, there are uh, a lot more works that are written for uh, piano in mind. And mm. most of the time, composers who write like that and write for the particular instrument obviously have a very clear understanding of some of the physical constraints mm. and possibilities of uh, a pianist and uh, the instrument. But when it comes to piano reductions from orchestra and wind bands, I think, yeah, do you feel that sometimes um, the, the treatment that pianists get from the instrumentalist is a little bit unfair? <laughs> I wouldn't say unfair, but I think uh, what we need is the instrumentalist to be a little bit more understanding sometimes. Mm. Uh, I think it works both ways. So I, I, I hope I hope the instrumentalist like yourself and others will be more understanding. Like uh, the piano part can be very challenging. Mm. You know, I, I, I think you understand that, right? Especially yeah. with reduction. There's, oh, can you imagine cramming the entire orchestra into the piano? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And- you know, I, I think sometimes, probably for for pianists, the smart thing to do is to really, you know, find the kind of less important lines and just drop them. Yes, which I do. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be and, very smart as a pianist. You have to like yeah. choose what you want to play, you know, like just make sure you cover the cur- the important voices or the important points that, that will help to lead the, the soloist. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, you have to reach like to change the notes or reposition them. I think it's totally fine as long as the harmony and the music is intact as a mm. whole, right? right? I mean, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, you know, uh, as an instrumentalist, that there's a little bit more simple-minded. Chances are, I won't even be able to tell. Yes, they're listening to the overall flow and the overall big picture of the music. So mm. you know, I mean, if you. Of course, I try to get all the notes if I can. I have this yeah. a little bit of a but, uh, but I know when I can't and I think I have to be very smart about it. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, um, of course, this the idea of staff accompanies is, or staff pianists is not a very... It's still quite a new thing in Singapore. I think uh, nowadays uh, at, a, at a conservatory uh, at Yong Shuto, they have allocated individual pianists for each of the instrument 
for mm. example, somewhere like uh, Inafa, it's still up to the students to engage uh, whoever they want to play with them. Uh, of course, um, it works either way as long as there's a system, right? So um, at the Northern, it's the same thing. We have like a select a list of staff pianists that all the instrumentalists can engage for our recitals. Yes. And sometimes these pianists turn up to class and uh, the euphonium department, we are very lucky that the pianist always prepares mm. uh, the music <laughs> ahead of time, right? That's so I, I would say that in at the staff pianist at Northern, probably most of the time, or like 95% of the time, the, the pianists do turn up uh, prepared, provided yeah. you give them the score ahead of time. That is yes. very important, right? Yeah. To, to give them time to prepare and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I think in this sort of performance situation, that the efficiency then becomes very important, isn't it? Because you are doing, not saying that a performance class is not important, but it is not a concert. And you just have to, if you have to drop certain things, mm. I guess, you know, it's really not the end of the world. Yeah, it's not. Exactly. Yeah. Like you have to mm. be, even, like you said, uh, sometimes, you know, there's so much to play and there's so much rap. Mm. Um, of course, we try to look at it, yeah. We, I try to, I always try to prepare my music in advance if I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah but, definitely. you know, as the staff fan is, the good part is, after a while, the music recycles itself. Ah. Uh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if I've learned this sonata, it's the likelihood I'm going to play this sonata again. Uh, yeah, it's high, you know, it will come back again. Mm. So if I learn something very thoroughly once, and then the next time I kind of just have to revise it. But it still takes yeah. time. I, I revise it and then I'll be able to play. Then as time goes, the, the repertoire that is in my hands or in my brain will kind of grow. The, yeah. the library of it. So, and then, uh, yeah, then it makes it slightly easier, I guess. Mm, definitely. Which is the point where you you mentioned like certain studios have certain pianists and I, I can see why why there's a there's a structure like that. Yeah. Because if you have to play for different instruments all the time then there's a lot of rap to learn and you can't... The recycling rate is low, yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Definitely. So, like for example, in Sota, I do a lot of uh, accompaniment for voice because I'm very, very familiar with the repertoire already. Mm. Then in a way, you know, the repertoire will keep coming back. Do you feel like, say for example, when you are um, doing accompaniment for an instrument that you are not very familiar with or you don't uh, play with that instrument very often, yeah. do you feel like uh, sometimes it can be a little bit um, difficult to find a footing? Uh, I won't say difficult to find a footing, but I'll be very honest with the other person. Okay, like say for example, I, I play with uh, Iru. He's a percussionist at YST. Okay. Um, so I don't play with percussion a lot, but if I do, I will, I'll be very, very honest to tell him, okay, I need to understand how the thing sounds, uh, where and how it moves. I also try to understand how fast his movements go or where mm. he is in the music. I mean, I'll, I will talk, talk it over with the instrumentalist usually to yeah. understand how, how the music will work. Mm, fair, enough. fair mm. enough. Yeah, because I had a... So obviously there's uh, accompaniment module Mm. at the RNCM mm. uh, for the master's students, a yes. pianist. So mm. I was helping uh, a friend to do uh, her assessment. Mm. And um, we rehearsed a few times to prepare for the assessment. And of course, uh, uh, what, what she said that was quite interesting to me was that she's not used to accompanying, like playing with tenor voice instruments. So sometimes mm. 
yeah, they find it a little bit difficult to hear some of the things uh, clearly. Mm. Yeah, which I can kind of understand as well because if you're always used to, say, accompanying some kind of more treble instruments mm. when you, yeah, a company like a euphonium or a tuba or a trombone could be yeah. sometimes slightly uh, off-putting. Yeah, there's yeah. a slight curve. But that curve is easily overcome though. Once you start rehearsing, I can already mm. feel how the music goes. I can feel what the instrumentalist habits or certain yep. places where they like to move. I mean, for me, it's... I, I find it not difficult because once I play through once or twice, I really roughly know and I can remember or I make notes. Then mm. from that on, it's just just uh, the matter of practicing and letting the instrumentalist get used to me and me getting used to the person's playing. Yeah, just kind of like familiarize with everything, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But I agree, there's a little bit of curve if you haven't like, say say if you haven't played with the tuba for a long time, then when I mm. hear the tuba play, of course, I'm not used to it, but you know, it's something that you can quickly just get used to. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, quite a bit of uh, insight when it comes to how to uh, interact with like different pianists and the companies when instrumentalists are working with uh, them. They are actually very, very important uh, to mm. you. So don't make the pianist angry. Uh, be nice <laughs> to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are, there, are there any... Um, Let's talk you, for example. Of, of course, I'm not going to put you in a spot to talk about every uh, all the pianists and generalize everything. But for you, are there any actions or ways of communicating that you cannot accept from an instrumentalist or behaviors that you cannot accept from instrumentalists? Um, I think... Um, okay, there's one thing I, I, I really... that really sometimes annoys me is they feel like if they pay you to do an accompaniment, then they have a right to ask you to do whatever they want. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, sometimes, so I've met some people who are a little bit bordering on being rude, but I usually give them the the benefit of doubt. Maybe they have a bad day or, you know, they're frustrated about something else. Usually it's not about me, right? Okay. Yes, I can also be very annoyed with people who hasn't prepared. I mean, mm. I feel like they're wasting my time. I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. Um, or sometimes I'm a bit annoyed when um, the other person or uh, is not open to compromising, like talking about the music, how I think it should go, or they're very stubborn about certain ways of mm. how they should go, and they're not open to even thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think this idea of maybe um, if I'm uh, paying you to be my accompanist, then mm. I have zero regards about your inputs or uh, your ideas or your your playing and mm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. that could end very badly. I mean, after all, it's music. So I, I, I mean, as much as I understand, yes, I'm being paid to do accompaniment, but I, I, I should like to feel like the whole experience or the whole exchange should not be so transactional. Mm. Do you know what I mean? For sure. So you've been back for a few years now. Yay. And how was it like when you first returned back to Singapore and you had to find work and you had to connect with people and now obviously you have made a career switch. Was there any point in time whereby you thought that, oh, maybe I'll go back to like computer science? <laughs> your, your, you know, your, your old line of work? Yeah. Or were you quite determined to make it as a musician? 
Mm, actually, it's a very good question. And I think if anyone were in my position, they would probably feel the same way, right? Uh, when I first got back, it's, it's, it's not an easy transition because mm. you go from a very, um, quite a safe environment of learning and working. Then now you're back in a different place, although it's your home, but it's still different. And now you have to work and it's, uh, it becomes very real, you know, it's a, it's a real, it's a real environment, a real situation. And now you have to step up. You have to find work. Yeah. Yeah. You have to pay bills. You have to, in a way you have to get your shit together. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. It's not easy, right? Because, you know, for, I I think you probably understand this because freelancing, the work doesn't just drop from the sky. (laughs) <laughs> no absolutely um, yeah there are many pianists around so yep. you know we're not lacking of them i think um, the important thing is to to be very patient if you are coming back from overseas to be mm. very patient to do to keep the faith that you are good at what you're doing continue to learn continue to practice and then meet people if you can but in a very yeah. genuine way not because you know and I think the important thing is to meet people and not expecting anything in return. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Just yeah. really meet people for the sake of, you know, meeting people with a similar mind. They can be musicians or non-musicians alike. I mean, there's lots mm. of things for people who don't do music. But just yeah. to meet people, just to, to connect with them on a real, like a real genuine basis and continue to like what you do. If you have the resources and the time, you can also organize some things, you mm. know, productive. You can try to attend the events or the concerts or other people. I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, it's good to continue to listen to other people. It's good to continue to keep your mind alert and fresh and thinking. Yeah, then I think work will come. Yeah, and, and I agree with you that don't treat people like chess pieces, you know. Um, yeah, if, if you want to know people better, really be genuine, really... Uh, show interest in what other people are doing mm. or what they're up to and uh, learn from uh, other people. Mm. Don't go in and feel like you can manipulate your way through. Yeah, that's not going to end well for you usually. You might get some immediate um, uh, rewards and gratifications, but in the long run, I promise you, it's going to catch up and it's not going to be very nice. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. If you're in for the long run, you have... Yeah, I think it's important to be to be realistic and honest la, about what you do. And of course, to be lovely to people. Mm. Yeah. So now, let's talk about after you return back to Singapore, now that music is your career, do you now see music differently from pre-studies? <laughs> yes, slightly. Uh, yeah. If I have to be very honest, of course, when I was before I went to college and I played music it's purely out of like like really really I, I love it so much I love playing I love playing for other people I, play, I love playing with people and mm. I didn't have to worry about like income wise you know from doing it for me yeah. it was just purely I can choose whatever I want to do and I can don't do if I don't want to do yeah how I feel about music hasn't changed now that it's my career but mm. um, I guess if you do it as a career, you have to be a little bit more realistic. So sometimes you do have to do things that maybe it's not like your top choice. I want to play this piece or, or you know, I want to play that. 
but you will yeah. do it because it's your job mm. and it's your responsibility to your own life in your own career and I think it's perfectly okay I mean I'm sure people who go to office jobs don't want to do certain things or everything that they do every day in and out yeah but they still definitely. do it because it's their job right I mean so you you have to understand that when you do it as a hobby and when you mm. do it as a career it's just slightly different as in a way yeah. that you have to be willing to do mm. or play music with people of varying backgrounds, varying levels, varying abilities, and you mm. start to exercise that that level of professionalism, yeah, uh, patience, and care. You know, definitely. We try at times, but you still learn to do it, and after a while, yeah, you get the hang of it, and then it's easier. Mm, yeah and and obviously like you said the the idea of now that music is work mm. uh, means that there is some sort of uh, monetary benefits in there on mm. the work that you take up mm. but i feel that because we are still a musician mm. first or i mean there's many levels we are uh, we are a person first then we are a musician then then we can uh, there are many layers to our uh, sort of personality right Ooh. but i think from my interaction with musicians money of course is important to mm. uh, make us survive but mm. it is also not the deciding fa- factor whether we decided where we decide to take up work or not because mm. i i have come across like interacting with uh, different uh, musicians and uh, art pra- arts practitioners that if they uh, believe in your idea they really like your your pitch and your project. They are willing to come to a compromise. Not that you, you'll be free. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be free. But I think they are willing to, you know, go below their standard rates just because yeah. they enjoy your idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are some things yeah. I'm very happy to do for free. Or there are mm. some projects I'm very happy to do for... I don't really care about the money in some of the things. Um, yeah. It's good if I get paid. It's okay if I don't get paid. You know? But they are only for some, only for the things I really, really want to do. Mm. So I agree in, on some extent. But but if you do it as a career, you get to pick some of these things and you hope you get to be involved with some of these things. But on the other side, you also still have to continue to do some things that you might not enjoy every day of it, but you will still do it. Cool. And I think uh, with that, it's just about time for us to wrap up this interview mm. uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show Pauline and being so honest and open with all your sharings thanks for having me no no problem it's absolute joy uh, so be sure to check out uh, Pauline's playing at uh, the Opera People's Kopi and Song series there are lots of videos up there you know apart from the Kopi and Song series there are also other videos that I believe that you can still see uh, Pauline playing and with some fantastic singers as well uh, the link will be provided in the show description I had an absolutely lovely time thank you so much again Pauline for coming on to the show and doing this and on that note we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What You have been listening to You Play A What hosted by Vincent Tan If you enjoyed this episode please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan 
Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.